If your brother sins against you, this is where we go. Notice the first thing he tells us is a single word. What's the next word in the verse? If your brother sins against you, what's the next word? Go. Did you notice that? Oh, it's a simple word. Two letters. Easy to miss. Why is that so important? Because if you burn me, the last thing I want to do is come to you to restore you. What I want is for you to figure it out, realize how rotten you've been, and come with your tail between your legs with total humility covering you to come and get this right. But he says, look, if, if your brother sins against you, I'm expecting you to be big enough to come and go do something about it. Now, already how many of us think, oh, yeah, I always do this. There is nothing in our human nature that does this. And by the way, you're probably aware that Jesus never asks us to do things that are easy. What he asks us to do is what is impossible so that only he can do it through us. There's the exciting thing, which means we live in the realm of the miraculous as long as we let him do what he wants to. If somebody burns you, somebody sins against you, I want you to go. That's our first thing. Don't wait for them to come around. I want you to be the one. But I remind you, this is to gain your brother. You have to love him more than the offense. Let me say that again. You need to love him or her more than the offense. So go. Notice the second thing he tells us then is to tell him his fault. Now this is really, really important. And we'll even get to the qualifier on that in a moment. But hear me on this. The situation of his fault tells us, don't tell him. Notice the things he doesn't say. Tell him he's faulty. Tell him he's a jerk. Tell him what he did. Tell him his fault. There's a difference. See, you watch this, and here's a great place to watch it is in married or in in romantic relationships. And you watch somebody, one of them has been offended. So the other one turns at the moment they've been offended and open fires. Now, their purpose isn't to gain back. Their purpose at that moment is they've been a little hurt and they they want to hurt back. So what happens is they see something and they say, hey, you hurt me. For which then the person who said whatever it was or did whatever it was in the beginning starts to defend themselves. Because the problem now is a person. Did you notice that? So I'm just going to just randomly use a couple of people. Let's say there's a girl named Vebra and a guy named Bugo. And let's say Bugo makes some kind of off-color French comment that really offends an Italian girl like Vebra. And with that, what happens? She goes, eh, what's wrong with you? Right? And he's like, what? She's like, you did these rotten things, this thing bad, and this bad thing, and this bad thing. And, and, And now Bugo, his response at the point is to defend himself. He's like, what? Like, I would intentionally try to hurt you. But the problem is, at that moment, guess what? The problem never gets dealt with. Because what you have are two people defending themselves against the situation. So he doesn't say, tell him he's faulty. He says, tell him his fault. So what happens is, in this case, Vebra sits down with Bugo and they go, listen, I need to talk to you. This thing is bad. Now it's not an issue of him defending himself. Got, they have this thing on the table and this thing gets to get looked at for the purpose of it getting dealt with. There's the difference. You've been offended because someone did something against you. Again, we're here in in, in Matthew 18, and someone has offended you. And your response to that is to take the initiative. Because God, by the way, always takes the initiative. And if we're going to look like him, we better do the same. And you take the initiative and say, hey, I need to talk to you about a thing. This thing is bad. 
Now, hear me on this because we're going to, we're going to cloak all of this, or I should say cover all of it, umbrella all of it, by one simple phrase or verse in Scripture. Now, if you can find this, do so with me. If you go all the way to the end. That's the book of Revelation. And then go to the left of it. And you'll have, three, you'll have Jude and then 3, 2, 1, John. And I want you to look at 1 John chapter 1 for a second. So go ahead and find it. Take your time. In 1 John chapter 1, there are three verses... Verses, by the way, 8, 9, and 10, that tell us three different things we can do with our sin. I mean, in one case, we can say we've never sinned. In one case, we could say we've not sinned. But in between those two statements is this beautiful verse, 1 John 1, 9, that says this. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see the verse? Now, hear me on this. There's two sides to it. One side, the person who has the sin, what's their responsibility? It's really one word. What's the word? Confess. That's their responsibility is to confess. I'll tell you what that, we'll we'll develop that in a second. The other side of it, Jesus' response to a person's confession is that he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive. Those are the two responses. Now, hear me. Here's the way it works. Two things are responsible for proper mending of a couple, the matter of two people, in any form of relationship. On one side is genuine and honest confession, and on the other is genuine and honest forgiveness. Now, here's the important part about this. The word for confess, by the way, first of all, is the word homologamos. We know what homo means. Homo means same. Logamos, like logic, means reason, reasoning or logic. There's the idea means the same reasoning, the same logic, the same idea. Genuine confession means you both agree on something in regards to this matter. Now, with God and me, it's a simple thing. I've done something really stupid, something wrong. God says, that's sin. Let's not call it a little white lie. Let's not call it a little this or that. Let's not poo-poo it. Let's call it what it is. It's sin. That's what he calls it. For me to confess, what I'm actually doing is telling him, I agree with you, this is sin. This is wrong. That's genuine confession. By the way, do you know, nowhere in Scripture does God ever tell us to apologize. Apo means out of. Apology, apologos, literally means out of your logic or out of your reasoning. Do you know what that means? You are reasoning a reason. That's redundant, redundant. You're reasoning a way to tell someone why you did it. And God says, I don't need that. What I need is you to agree with me this is wrong. That's what I need because if I don't get that, you'll be very apt to repeat it. That's the way that works. So on one side, the person who's the offender, what they really want to get is a confession. Now, not a confession like they're signing something and, you know, what they're saying is we can agree because, remember, we're separating the problem from the person. What we're getting is that they're agreeing this is bad. This is wrong. That's where it goes. So what happens is if someone sins against you, and again, in this case, we're saying Bugo has offended and done something against Vebra. Again, hypothetical couple. And with that, she, trying to be the bigger, trying to be the Christian in this, approaches, not with anger and spite and not with malice and hands, well, hands waving because she communicates, but she wants to say, hey, listen, I need to talk to you about a thing, and here's the thing, the thing, not you, you're rotten, you're miserable, look at what you did, you hurt me, because that's going to get him to defend himself, but if we can agree that this thing is bad, that's what I need, can we agree this is bad, that's what I need. Well, that's her responsibility. 
His respo- or, I'm sorry, that's his responsibility is to confess. Her responsibility then, afiemi is the word for forgive. And afiemi literally means to lift off, to remove and cast away. That's the fundament here. Please hear me on this. What God really wants is to lift it off. But what if God lifted it off and you didn't think it was bad? You would fight him over it. But if you agree it's bad, well, then you'd be glad to let him remove it. Put it this way. You know, um, Hooks buys a dog. And as Hooks buys a dog, he loves the dog. The thing's got full of life and it's cute, you know, and he's got pictures of him with the dog. Took me out here, I'm with the dog. But somewhere in that, Harayin, his wife, comes and the dog can't stop biting Harayin. And he loves the dog. It's cute, it's cute, it's cute. But sooner or later she has to come to him and she could say, what's wrong with you giving a dog that bites me? Well, that's not going to get you anywhere. But she's like, hey, I need to talk to you for a second, Hooks. This dog is biting me. What are we going to do about it? Can we agree this dog in our context is bad? For which Hooks says, you're right, let's get rid of it. Now, we'll take her and we'll find somebody that it doesn't bite. Hands it over to Anna. Anna's happy with the dog, and everyone's happy. The point is this. If we're going to see genuine restoration to gain a brother, it is going to be required of us. Genuine confession and genuine forgiveness. Once that happens, now, you can imagine, Hooks could be very angry at Harine because he could be like, hey, you took my dog. But if he loves Harine more than the dog, well, then he's glad to see the dog go if that means that Harine is safe. Now, let me ask you a question. And, we'll, and the text will develop fairly easy now. But let me ask you a question. How many of you in here have broken a bone ever in your life? A broken a bone in your, in your body. You have bones. Those are the part, your skeleton. Any of, how many, hold your hand up if you can, unless it's still broken and it's hard to. Forgive me for that. Okay. How many of you have ever needed stitches? You know, that's where you've tore skin and they had to sew it up or put staples on it. How many of you? So I'm seeing which of you are the most reckless. You've never had, you've never needed stitches? After all that skateboarding, you've never needed, you needed stitches in your jeans today. Anyways. All right. Okay. Here's the point. Could you imagine what would happen if our body never healed? I mean, imagine how funky we would look. I mean, I have more thread on my face than I may skin in some places from the reckless and silly things I've done in my life. I mean, we'd kind of, I'd look a bit like Frankenstein at this point, you know. I mean, and I'd be like, because of my leg. And here's the point, how, how, how beautiful that God lets the body heal. But could you imagine what happens to the body of Christ? How does the body of Christ heal? You know how the body of Christ heals? through confession and forgiveness, because this is what restores and stitches together what's torn apart. Does that make sense? I mean, here's the sad part. When the body of Christ is all about fighting, well, then we're in a really, really rough place. So follow me in our text. It develops fairly easy in this. Moreover, here's the situation. Because Jesus came to save, if your brother sins against you, I want you going. Don't wait for them. You go, and I want you to tell him his fault And then when you tell him his fault, I want you to tell him between you and him alone. Oh, man, how healthy the body of Christ would be if this is how it was handled. Oh, no, no, no. We'd rather Twitter rant. We'd rather duke it out on Facebook. 
We'd rather, you know, call someone. I'm calling for a prayer request. What's a prayer request? Let me tell you what that person did to me. Well, that's not a prayer request. That's a gossip request. We're all aware of that. Well, no, maybe we're not. Because you know what it says? Is that gossip, it's like tasty trifles that go into the innermost part. It's like, you're like, oh, I can't hear that. What? It's you know, like those like those that kind of are on a bus and you're right by an accident and there's four ambulances. And, like, and you watch what happens. Every person's glued to the window. They just want to see the carnage. But they're like, I can't look, but I can't look away. You know? And it's like, oh, I don't want to hear, but I have to hear. What did they do to you? Or what did you hear? And then he goes, listen, if the body handled it right, there wouldn't be. What happens is there, it starts tearing other things the moment you tell other people. Because you can't tell them anything but what your view of it is at that point. And it's amazing how right you sound. And that's what Proverbs says. Every person sounds right until their neighbor comes and cross-examines them. And it's like, look it. Here's the deal. Someone sinned against you. I want you going to them alone. And I want you to put the fault on the table and say, can we agree this is bad? Because I really want to get it out so we can be brother and sister again. We can really be intimate like we should be as family. And now that person has two responses. In one case, that person can choose to hear you, and in one person, that person could choose not to. If the person chooses to hear you, the term is akuho, and the idea is to give, to genuinely pay attention to. If they do, they're going to confess, you're going to be restored, you're going to gain your brother, and the deal's done. And nobody else has to know about it. Two people had a problem, they worked it out, they brought it to the Lord, the thing is done, it's over, and nobody else had to know about it, and therefore there are no rifts. And now the body doesn't have excessive tearing. The body doesn't have an infection because the body worked it out. It kept it to the parts that were genuinely affected. But what if he doesn't hear you? If he doesn't hear you, you have to take step two. Verse 16, if he will not hear, notice it doesn't say if he does not hear. It says if he will not hear. You know what that means? That's a conscious choice. You've come to them and you're like, I need to talk to you. Can we agree this is bad? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're out of your, you're out of your mind. You're off your nut. And you're like, oh. Okay, well, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to make this thing a big deal where all of a sudden, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And I remind you, this is brother to brother. This is not dealing with the lost here. And then with brother to brother, what you do then is you go and you bring back up. But notice, by the way, the backup's not just there to witness. They're not just there to kind of cross their arms and look at, like you've kind of, like, you know, like you kind of come in like this, you know. These are my boys behind me, and you better do what's right or else don't. Because notice what it says. It says in verse 17, if he refuses to hear them. What that tells us is, is that the people have come to talk. But what could they talk about? You're not supposed to, it doesn't say go and share your information with them and then sharing the information with them, then they're going to come in with this information because they're only going to have your side of it. So, so back to our situation here. Let's say that Vebra has gone to Bugo or however I did that. And then, but he isn't willing to listen. So what she does is she goes and she brings in Anna and Maureen. And she brings them in and here's the point. Now hear me on this. We're trying to be very careful to stay true to the word. They haven't been told anything other than this. I need you for backup for a moment. Will you please come and pray? So what happens is they come not having information. Well, you know what that does? That keeps Bugo from being on the defensive because he doesn't just think, well, what have you been told? So they come in now, and Vebra then comes and says, look, it, here's the situation. Is this thing bad? And I remind you, this is a sin against. Is this thing bad? For which then, at which point, he can respond by saying, you know what? Well, what do you guys think? 
Anna listens and she goes, well, that is a bad thing. And that really hurt her. What do you should we should probably you should probably deal with it, huh? Maureen's like, yeah, come on now. Hear me on this. One of the most dangerous things is a soft shoulder that bends against truth. We try to be sympathetic, but we are sympathetic against truth. And what happens is the Bible actually suffers as a result of it. In a situation like this, I remind you, the purpose is gaining our brother back, right? It's to see that body restored. So what happens is they're there and they're like, yes, please understand. She's trying to restore to you. She's trying to forgive you. Confess this. Let's deal with this and let's get it over with. And, And he has the choice. He could say, you know what? Well, it sounds like she's not actually crazy. Other people here. I get that. So, okay, you're right. He's restored. Beautiful. Everything is good. Or, and again, it doesn't have to be at this point, nobody else knows but the four of them. But what if he won't listen? And again, notice it says, but if he will not hear. Well, the next step now is to tell the church. Now, what does that mean? What in the world does that mean? Does that mean that all of a sudden you just start going, hey, everybody, I want you to know what's going on between this couple? Or do you bring in a couple representatives? Do you bring in, well, somebody ultimately has to make a choice here that's going to be really, really uncomfortable. You really want to split a church? One of the easiest ways to do that is to have the church have to become a disciplinarian. And there are times where God reminds us that that we're required to. Understand, if the shepherd is there to lead, guide, guard, love, and feed, guard is part of that. And what God knows, hear me on this, what God knows is the danger of an unrepentant Christian. Because God has already said through Samuel when he spoke to Saul, he says that rebellion, stubbornness, is like idolatry, but rebellion against God? Well, that's like witchcraft. And God called that an abomination. And he knows that a person dwelling now in a place where it's like, I am refusing to put this on the table and deal with it like I should, that particular person now is going to become a danger to other people because they're going to drag them into that sin. And we've watched this over and over and over again. And unfortunately, what happens at that point is you have to bring in other people that have to say, listen, this is now an ultimatum. So this is the way we deal with it on anyone. We go with instruction and then reinforcement and then we go to correction. Now, instruction means we just assume or we say we could call the correction. We assume you didn't understand what was wrong, but now we're instructing you. Do we agree it's bad? Then we reinforce it. And then there comes this ultimatum that says, look, you need to do this or you're out of here. Because this situation now is actually dragging other people into this situation. And that's a scary and rough thing. And somewhere down the line, somebody at the church has to make the decision, is this person a danger to the, to the sheep or not? Now, who wants that job? Do you really think that any pastor loves that job? Thinks, this is cool, I get to kick people out of the church? No one that I know likes that. But what's amazing is how anyone that can have to make a choice like that, the backlash that will come the moment you're like, you know what? This person at this point is a danger. They may be doing nice things, but there is a danger here that, is, that we have to really deal with. So please, I remind you, the first, by the way, the verses 15 to 20, what we're going to find basically is the issue of the confession. And then from 21 to 36, 35, the rest of the chapter will be the issue of the forgiveness part. So let's start rolling through it. So here's the, I mean, please understand This is not what Jesus wants. Remember, Jesus came to save. But what happens if that person now is dragging other people out, causing them to stray? Jesus says, well, that person's going to need to be removed, at least as long as they're rebellious. Because I've come to save, and I don't want anyone causing others to wander. He said it would be better if you tore, if you put a millstone around their neck and threw them in the ocean than to make one of these little ones wander. 
please hear me in this. Because the saddest part is that if a person realized that what they were doing is, you know what, how is the whole church in agreement over this and I'm different? Somewhere in it they have to deal with it or what they wind up doing is they just go to another church and then everything's just the same as it was before. But if we were in agreement, we're like, you know what, this really needs to be dealt with. Somewhere down the line we realize, man, I want to be restored to that, which means church should be someplace we want to be so bad that being gone from it would really stink. That we'd be like, dang it, I miss that. I wish I could be back there. Like, well, deal with the sin and let's get this over with and let's get right. Let's get you where you belong. And that's why he says then in verse 18. By the way, he says at the end of that, tell it to the church that he refuses even to hear them, the church, let him be he was a heathen and a tax collector. There's two things you should note. Matthew's writing this down, and you're aware of the fact, right, that Matthew's a tax collector, or was. Would that be rough to write down, being an ex-tax collector? But a heathen and a tax collector would be, conviewed, would be viewed as a betrayer, and would be viewed as somebody who chose a God different than yours. They would be somebody that, in the simplest sense, you'd want to get the gospel to and guard your heart. The world is never supposed to be there influencing our heart. But to be honest, they're the ones that we want to get the gospel to. And if we're there just going, look, at, if we treat them in a way like a tax collector or a heathen, that should be different then than the other because otherwise, how are they going to know it? Now, please understand, the purpose is never to make them just rotten and turn them into a villain. The purpose is to restore them. In 1 Corinthians, there was a guy sleeping with his mom or his stepmom. You can argue over it. It says he has his father's wife, regardless. It's, it's messed up. And he says, kick him out of the church, hand him over. But that his soul would be spared. And the purpose was not because he just wanted him out of the church. By 2 Corinthians, the guy seems to have repented. And now he's like, look it, I want you to forgive him, comfort him, and reaffirm your love for him, lest he be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. In other words, the guy learned his lesson. The purpose was to restore, and sometimes the worst way, the easiest way to keep you sick is to just kind of cover over and placate the symptoms and make you feel like you're okay. If I can take away all your symptoms, but you're dying of something, you'll ultimately die from it because you'll never deal with the cause. And we can do that if we're not careful. So Jesus says, as a result of that, again, I say to you, verse, verse uh, 18, that whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Please understand how important that verse is for me and for all of you. What he's saying in the simplest sense, understand is, hey, this decision you've had to make at church, I'm going to back you up in heaven. I want you to know that. And the reason is because if you're meeting together over this, I'm going to be there to help you. Hey, there are times, anytime you have to do something like that, it hurts. It hurts, and it hurts really bad because it's someone you love. And then you always, there is never a time where you don't lay awake and go, could we have done anything different? Jesus, I want you to know I'm backing you up here. And he says that if you agree, verse 19, any of you, two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Because remember, the purpose is restoration and forgiveness. He goes, if you have a hard time forgiving, ask me. And if you ask me, I'll give you the power. And I want to warn you, you will never, ever forgive more than you've been forgiven by Jesus. So listen. For whatever three or two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. The context again of that is restoring a brother, not just we're going to demand Jesus give us a Bentley. 
Verse 21, and it picks up now because he tells his story. Peter says, Lord, how often shall I, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now understand, he was actually playing the cooler side of that. There were two basic camps during the time of Jesus. Uh, they were under two guys that they called sages. They were roughly within the last hundred years prior. One guy's name was Shammai. The other guy's name was Hillel. Shammai was the hardcore. He was the one who actually said that Gentiles were here to fuel hell. He was kind of a rough and tumble kind of guy. Uh, and he was kind of like, if you will, I kind of picture him like a Jewish Stallone, you know. So, you know. And, and he was the one that actually would be like, you know, listen, three times or max. You know, it's kind of the three-striker-out policy. It's like, look at this, sin against you, forgive them, sin against, forgive them. After that, they're out of here. That's kind of the idea for Shammai. Hillel was more the soft shoulder, and he said seven times. So when Peter says that, understand, he thinks he has two options. And the two options are, on one side, well, one guy says three times, one guy says seven. I'm pretty awesome just to pick, I'm doing, I've done great, right? I've picked the seven. And Jesus goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Actually, it should be 70 times seven. And of course, how many of you instantly do the math? And we go, well, that's 490, which means if you've gotten to 489, you're on thin ice, right? But here's the problem. If I forgive you, then I can't get past one because the next time you do something, it's the first time again. So it isn't like I can get to 490. Now understand, back when Jesus, or when God showed us the lineage of the unsaved through Cain in Genesis 4, there was a guy named Lamech, and he was this rotten, horrible kind of guy, and he said, look it, if Cain was avenged seven, I'll be avenged 70 times seven. So that's kind of the most rotten of men said that I'm going to be avenged to the ultimate, 70 times 7. Jesus says, if you're going to represent me, you need to forgive like that. There's the idea. And then he gives us this story. And I imagine at this moment, Peter's probably again eating a bit of humble pie. So here's the story. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. This is verse, chapter 18, verse 23. It's like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. That means a lot of people, not just one, but a lot of people owe money, and he's bringing them all in one by one, and he's taking every guy that owes them, and he's going to settle it. When he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And you probably think, oh my goodness, I can't believe he owed 10,000 talents. Does any of you know what a talent is? You know, yeah, I mean, we think, okay, so what, he can like tap dance and he can sing. And then we've got like 9,998 other talents he owes him. I mean, how does that work? Well, understand something. And I'm going to put these into contemporary terms because what we have is like contemporary salaries and contemporary price of silver. It will help us in this. Here's the idea. That a talent, in its simplest sense, in Jewish economy, was 75 pounds, or if you will, 35, 34 kilos of silver. Silver was the monetary base. So if we're going to kind of take that in mind, we're going to take silver in both of these cases. That means that what the guy owed at the current price, which, by the way, today is 50 pence a gram. And again, I remind you, at this point, since he owed 10,000 talents, that means he owed 340,000 kilos of silver to this guy. How do you get in that kind of debt? It's simple. You keep getting and you stop giving. The more you get and the less you give, the more you'll owe. Which means that at the current rate of silver, this man owed the master 170 million pounds. So which one of you thinks you're going to be able to pay that off? So you think, well, you know, if I just could pay you a thousand pounds a month, well, then I really only have to pay you for 170,000 months. It's evident there is no way this guy has the capacity to pay. It says he was not able to pay, verse 25. 
But his master commanded that he be sold, his wife, his children, and all that he had, that the payment be made. Now understand this. That tells us that this guy is in such a place now that whatever he's doing has become so consistent that he's now lost his wife for it. He's now lost his children for it. He's now lost his stuff for it. Have you ever seen anyone really, really addicted? Every Thursday morning, I have the privilege of sitting with a bunch of guys that were literally scraped up from beside dumpsters. Guys that for 30 years had been doing crack or heroin. The veins in the insides of their thighs are all torn up. The insides of their toes, those places where you try to get to. The insides of their eyelids, anywhere they can get to just to get that drug in. But it doesn't have to be those. Drink's the most common. And you suck so hard from the bottle, it sucks you back. And it sucks your whole life away. And you watch and you lose. First comes your stuff. Because you have to start selling it, and then it comes everyone else's stuff. You sell all theirs, right? So you have to steal their stuff. And sooner or later, it's enough broken promises that your wife's had enough. She's done. And your children with it, they're like, I can't stick around. You're a danger to be around here is a dangerous thing. Well, this man's now standing to give account, and what's clear is this man's like, Say goodbye to your wife, you'll never see her again. Say goodbye to your children. You'll never see him again. Say goodbye to your laptop, your iPod, your iPad, your iPhone, every, your eye everything. If you own something that's of value, it's mine now. Could you imagine? I mean, and let me ask you, of all of that stuff, what would hurt the most? I can't imagine looking in the face of my family and the look of betrayal that they'd have to give me in my face to say, why did you do this? Why did you go this far that that, I'm, that we all suffer for it like this? And at that moment, what would you do? At that point, there's no decorum left. Do you beg? This guy does. He falls down. Notice what it says. The servant fell before him and he said, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. Now, is there any possible way this guy's going to pay it all? That doesn't mean he doesn't mean it. And if you've looked in the face of an addict, you know they mean it. I've had the chance to sit with a couple of these guys this morning. And I watched this guy and he meant every word he said. But he had no strength to live it out. But the master, I remind you, the king, he was compassionate. He was so compassionate, so, so full of compassion, so moved by it. Real compassion, by the way, I learned from this, moves you. It moved him to not only let him go, but forgive him his debt. Do you know what that means? For a moment here, here I am, I'm watching my wife and my children and my stuff all leaving me. And he goes, you know what? No. Let's just call it even. Call it even. Call it even. I owe you that much. And he goes, hey, here's your wife back. Here's your kids back. I wouldn't even care about the stuff. Let me just give it all back to you. You know what's crazy is God wants to give us by grace, but somehow we keep thinking what we really want to give God is what we really want to think of it is as a trade. What in the world did we trade for this? 
And it tells us that it didn't take much time before what happened. And, and understand, if you don't embrace how much you've been forgiven, you'll never be able to, you'll be the person in the story. We use this often to gauge when you see somebody that's been caught in some form of trespass to see how they treat other people around them. Because if they turn and they have complete judgmental attitudes towards others, I get the idea they don't realize the greatness of what they've been forgiven. Surrounding this to close it, it says, verse 28, but that servant, he went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And you go, well, what's a hundred denarii? Well, let me show you. This is a denarii. This is a 2,000-year-old coin that is considered unclean in the temple, although there was clearly one because Jesus said, show me a denarii when they ask, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? It's made of silver. Uh, you're welcome when we go and have lunch later because we've made so much Mexican food. Uh, I want you to come and take a look at it. Feel it in your hand. Feel how it is. This is the weight of a day's salary. Now, there's a reason for this, because if you've ever heard someone kind of recount the story and kind of put it in contemporary purposes, they always kind of make it sound like, well, the guy owed really nothing. Well, please understand, if this is a day's salary and this is a hundred of these things, he owed him a hundred days salary. Now, let's just put that into perspective. The average annual income in the UK, at least what we found out last year, was 27,531 pounds. However, the annual salary in London... 48,023 pounds. Now, you're probably thinking, where are those people? I'm not making that. Well, we'll understand here. If we took a third of that, because with your holidays, sick pay, and your weekends, or whatever you get off, let's just assume it's a third of your annual income. What that means is in the UK, that would be nine grand, 9,177 pounds. Or here in London, it would be 16,007 pounds. And here's the point. Is that a lot of money? Yeah, that's a lot of money. It is a substantial amount of money, but it is nothing in comparison to what he owed. And the reason I say that is, often we can't minimalize the fact that maybe someone really has hurt you. Maybe what they've done has been horrible. And what they've done has been really heinous. But it's just, and it is huge. It's just not in comparison to what Jesus has done to redeem you. And I remind you, the whole point of this was restoring a brother. And I'm like, I don't have the power to forgive that person. You don't realize what they've done. Jesus is like, I need to let you know, I live in you. And if we're gathered together, I'm going to be there to help you with this situation, to help you when you see someone unrepented, to do what you need to, to see them restored, but also, and including sending them out for a time, or give you the power to forgive when you really don't feel like forgiving. And this guy grabbed him by the throat. Now we found this guy, which tells us he went looking for him. So it says, that notice by the way, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, laid hands on him, took him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe. The fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Please don't miss this because we are almost done. So please don't lose me. Notice what this man said when he owed his master, the original man who owed, I remind you at this point, you know, 170 million. He said this, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. This man now turns to him and says, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. It's the same script.
but he wouldn't. But he gave him the full extent of judgment, the full strong arm of the law. He threw him into prison until she'd pay his debt. And you really think that could be the end of the story? The fellow servants, and please hear me, here's the first thing that happens when you see that, is the fellow servants around you grieve. When you take something and you've been nailed for something and you deal with it and you realize the greatness of the forgiveness that's been granted and you fall on your face and go, wow, thank you for forgiveness. As David would say, blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, whose iniquity the Lord will never count against him. And then you turn to somebody else who you think has done something against you and you rail on them. The first thing that's going to happen is the other people that are around you are going to get grieved. They're going to get confused. And they're like, I don't get it. How could you be like this? I don't get it. It really hurts servants' hearts. And they went and they came and they told the master. The second thing is then the people then have to take it up with the master. And now all of a sudden they're like, God, I don't get it. How, did such, how could such a person be so heartless when you've poured forth your heart on them? I don't get it. But the master then called the guy in. He said, you wicked servant. Wicked. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have compassion too? He's like, didn't I demonstrate what compassion looks like? Real compassion moves you to forgive. If somebody's hurt you today, and it's a brother or a sister, I've heard it said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison to spite your enemies. How about if we ask God today to forgive us of holding on to it and ask that he give us the compassion that would move us to seek to get it right? Well, hear me on this. Shouldn't you have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Well, if that's the way you want to be. So his master was angry, delivered him to the tortures until he should pay what was due him. Verse 35. So my heavenly father will also do to each of you if from his heart, from his heart, he does not forgive his brother and trespass. Not from his mind or his mouth, but from his heart where real decisions are made. Hear me on this as we bring this to close. Psalm 103:12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43:25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake, and I will not remember your sins. Jeremiah 31:34. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Micah 7:18 Who is a god like you pardoning iniquity passing over transgression of the remnant of his heritage he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy and i remind you 1 john 1:9 if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness what does real forgiveness look like it is the absolute forgiving of the debt and the restoring just like that, for that man before he wouldn't forgive. And here's my prayer for each of us as we go to prayer. First of all, let me ask you, if what we do is we stand before God guilty in our own sin, but he so loved us that he paid the price, 
sent Jesus to die on the cross who owed nothing but chose your debt instead? You probably heard it said, we owed a debt we couldn't pay, but Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. But it tells us there's a part we need to do. And that is receive that gift. There's no earning this. There's no working or trading for it. Truth be told, it's a gift of grace and all he wants is to forgive you and cleanse you. Have you accepted that gift? It tells us that if you would confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Remember that word saved? Rescued, mended, made whole. If you've not, I'd like to give you a chance to say yes to this Jesus. If you have said yes to this Jesus, I'd like to give you the chance today with me to lay our hearts on the table and say, God, make me the part of the body you want to make me and make me a forgiver like you are. Make me one who will be willing to mend if there is confession for a brother. And if not, be willing to do what is necessary to make sure they don't harm someone else. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I recognize this is a heavy text. I recognize there there's no compromise in this. This is a very heavy and hard thing. And we recognize this is impossible for us to do in and of our own flesh. We don't have the human strength to take somebody who's hurt us, who's offended us, who's done something that is so infringed upon our dignity or has somehow stepped upon our hearts or has done something that has created such scars internally and yet God in all of this you've taken all of my rotten and miserable every thought every intent everything against you everything against anyone else you've taken every bit of that and you chose to lay it upon yourself and get nailed to a cross so it could be punished without me and that blows my mind You want me. You so want me. And you recognize that to be restored to me, there has to be genuine forgiveness. And I tell you, God, take all of my sin. As you've paid it all, I say yes to that gift. I say yes to the gift of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, but also yes to his resurrection where I have a brand new life awaiting me, one under your lordship, Jesus, one that says, yes, let me follow you now and become like you that I could become an agent of healing instead of just somebody hurt. So I need you to heal me, God, of all of the wounds in my heart. I need you to cleanse me from all of the hatred and bitterness that I've carried that has somehow manacled me, God, to a a very limited life, to a place of, of just not thriving. And I ask you to set me free today. I accept this gift of Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I say, have me now. So here I am, I'm yours. And if you today want to say yes to Jesus and you agree with this prayer, I ask you just to give a confident and resounding, Amen. Lord, you hear our hearts. And I pray for every believer here now, every believer, that you make us those agents of healing. Replace bitterness with compassion. Replace anger and resentment with forgiveness. And cause us to issue forgiveness where we never would have otherwise. Make us 
really and properly represent you and make us the kind of church, God, I pray, where people would see you. Spirit in the 
Jesus' name. Amen. Go be a blessing, beloved.